because although the Lord has given me things to share, now All right, how is that? Okay. So, um, although the Lord has given me things to share with us, I know that this word is going to come alive as the Lord gives it tonight. So I am excited to receive this word as well. So if you'll turn with me, we'll be in Amos chapter 1. If you're in the church's Bible, on page 1056. So tonight we'll have, um, I, I think y'all will appreciate a few graphics that will help us to, to put things that we've been talking about into perspective. So um, Roger's going to put something up here for us. Okay. So, a, a few things that I hope will provide some context, not only for what we've been talking about, but what we will talk about tonight. And so first we have a map that shows the two different nations of Israel and Judah that have been separated from one another by the time we come to Amos. And around, around Israel and Judah, you'll see numbered the different nations that will receive a judgment from Amos. So first starting in the very top in the northeast is Damascus. And then over to the southwest of Israel is Gaza, number two. Can you all see those numbers okay? And then number three that we talked about last week is Tyre, up to the north of Israel. And then tonight we will talk about Edom down here to the south. So we have Israel, the northern nation, and Judah, the southern nation. Now, we have a timeline here, and these are all, places, uh, these are all people that have been in the scriptures that we have read and have influenced what we've been understanding. So at the top, we have the kings that were in power throughout part of Israel and Judah's history. And in the middle, we have the prophets that some of the prophets that God sent to Israel and Judah. And then we have some of the kings and leaders of the other nations that are involved in Israel's story. And so these are some dates that really are just to give markers and a frame of reference for how much time has passed as these things are happening. And so we know when we studied last week about Hiram of Tyre that he was, he was around in the time of David and Solomon. Uh, when we studied about Ben-Hadad and Hazazel, those were happening around the time of Elisha the prophet. You'll remember that he was sent to, um, to speak to these two men. And that was taking place uh, shortly after King Ahab. So Amos, and what we read in this story, is current with these two kings, Jeroboam in Israel and Uzziah who was king in Judah. So if nothing else, hopefully this will give an idea of some of the things that we've talked about and the period of time between really Saul being anointed king over Israel and Israel being a regular or modern nation at that time and the over nearly 300 years between that time and when Amos is prophesying during Jeroboam II and Uzziah. 
So at the time of Saul and David and Solomon, Israel and Judah were one solid nation. And after Solomon and slavery and that evil that we talked about last week, Israel and Judah separated from one another. And so by Amos' time, of course, this is about what the maps and, or the map, I guess, and the area of their nations would have looked like. And so you'll notice that in Judah, right here, this border, is Jerusalem. And over the border in Israel would have been Bethel and Shechem and Samaria, which were the places that they had established, places of worship and where they had high priests. Okay, so we will, we will talk about Edom tonight, which is to the southeast, and so Edom is way down here, way south of where Israel is. And so when we, and actually I'll, I'll go back here for a second, over the last few weeks as we've talked about um, Tyre up to the north of Israel and Gaza down to the southwest, these nations had sold Israelites into slavery all the way down here in Edom. And so from the time that they were in battle up here in a northern area in Israel, it would have been even many years distance and time as those slaves would have had to have been migrating down here to the south and to Edom. Okay. So tonight, as we said, we will study about Edom, this nation that we've been reading some about, the nation that was receiving Israelite slaves. So let's read together in Amos chapter 1. We'll read verses 11 and 12. Amos says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away its punishment. Because he pursued his brother with the sword, and cast off all pity, his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. But I will send a fire upon Taman, which shall devour the palaces of Bozrah, thus says the Lord. So Edom is a nation that is constantly in conflict with Israel throughout the Old Testament. Um, last week we were talking about Edom and how Edom's descendants, Edom are the descendants of Esau. So Israel and Edom are the nations that descended from the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah, Jacob and Esau. And scripture tells us that these twins were never equal, even when they were still in the womb. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. If you're in the church's Bible, it will be on page 26. Genesis 25. So we'll read in Genesis 25, just verse 23. The Lord is speaking to Rebekah, the wife of Isaac. It says, And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two, people, two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. So this is very important to understand these two children that would come, Jacob and Esau. So although Esau originally had the birthright of Israel, he sold it to Jacob for some stew when he was hungry. You remember this story well. Um, Esau comes in from the field, and Jacob has been making this fine stew. He says he's hungry, and he gives up his birthright in order to have some stew. And from this point on, these brothers lived apart from each other, and their descendants would become great in size, 
but great in conflict forever. So turn over a few pages in Genesis to Genesis 36. We'll be on page 31 in the church's Bible. So we'll read two verses. We'll read in chapter 36, verse 8 and verse 12. So it says in verse 8, So Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. Well, we'll just keep reading verse 9 through 12. And this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. These were the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz, the son of Adah, the wife of Esau, Raul, the son of Basemath, the wife of Esau, and the sons of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gautam, and Kenaz. Now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These were the sons of Adah, Esau's wife. So two things that we want to we see here. First is that from Esau came the Edomites. So the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. But also that Esau is grandfather to Amalek. So it says that in verse 12, Amalek to Eliphaz. Well, Eliphaz was the son of Esau. So Esau had many descendants. Among them are the Edomites and also are the Amalekites. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 17 next. If you have the church's Bible, it will be on page 80. Exodus chapter 17. Now the Amalekites are not mentioned in Amos. Amos is talking about Edom. But the Amalekites are cousin to Edom and descendants of Esau as well. And this is important, I believe. So in chapter 17, let's read verses 8 through 16. What we're reading here is about the Exodus. And so Israel is leaving Egypt and is attacked from behind. Verse 8 says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did, as Moses said, and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and they put it under him, and he, he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out from the remembrance of Amalek from under, the, from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, The Lord is my banner. For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, of course, as soon as Israel, as soon as the Hebrews are leaving slavery in Egypt, what happens but Amalek, descendant of Esau, enemy of Jacob, would attack God's people from behind. God will give victory as long as Moses' hands are raised in submission to the Lord. The Lord tells Moses to remember this and make a memorial and to understand that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. This is known to the Israelites. That there will be war with Amalek. Next, let's turn to Numbers chapter 20. And the church's Bible will be on page 177. Numbers chapter 20.
So after this battle with the Amalekites, many years later and many years of wandering in the desert, the Israelites are getting closer on their way to the promised land. And they had to pass through Edom. So even on this map, uh, we would know that Egypt is actually right about down here. And so the Israelites have left Egypt and they're taking this long way as they go back and forth listening to the Lord and not listening to the Lord. And ultimately, they needed to pass right through here to make their way into Canaan. And they would have to take a much longer way and go down underneath Edom and come way back around this way because of what we'll read about here. So read with me in chapter 20, starting in verse 14, we'll read through verse 21. It says, Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel. Hear that language. Thus says your brother Israel. You know all the hardship that has befallen us. How our fathers went down to Egypt, and we dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our fathers. And we cried out to the Lord. He heard our voice and sent the angel and brought us up out of Egypt. Now here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your border. Please let us pass through your country. We will not pass through the fields or vineyards, nor will we drink water from wells. We will go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the children of Israel said to him, We will go by the highway, and if I, if I or my livestock drink any of your water, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. Then he said, You shall not pass through. So Edom came out against them with many men and a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory. So Israel turned away from him. So Israel was attempting to pass through Edom because it was really the, the quickest route to the promised land. But, of course, Edom said no. And not only did they say no, they were ready to go to war with them to keep them from coming into their country. So beyond these, we could see many, many, many examples, not just of the Amalekites and other descendants from Esau, but from the Edomites and their continued and persistent and consistent conflict and war and hatred towards Israel. Consider this verse. Let, let's just turn there. Let's look at Deuteronomy uh, 23. Um, turn over just a couple of pages to your right. Deuteronomy 23, it's on page 259. For nearly as many mentions of Edom having conflict and hatred towards Israel, there are passages that instruct Israel to treat Edom with care. So Deuteronomy 23.7 says, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. Now that word brother is significant because we read about brother last week and this idea that David and Solomon and Hiram were like brothers. And so, even with this conflict and dissent, even though God had ordained that Jacob would be the one who would carry God's people into the promised land, would be those who would inherit his promise, God still saw Jacob as brother to Esau. He still told them, do not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. So amidst all this chaos and conflict, God has told his people to care for their brother, the Edomite. So, why then are Israel and Edom such enemies? Well, I believe first because as we read, God said so. God said that the younger would, excuse me, the older would serve the younger. God said and knew and told Rebekah that Esau would serve Israel. And Deborah has taught on this understanding that Esau was one who went after the things of the flesh. Right? He went after his fleshly heart's desires. 
He wanted the soup after he had been out in the field. And Jacob, on the other hand, was one who went after things of the Spirit. Now, this does not mean that, you know, scholars won't argue whether Esau was cheated and thinks that Jacob was imperfect and maybe Jacob didn't deserve this inheritance. That's not really what matters because God looks at the actions of their spiritual hearts. And the spiritual heart of Esau is one for the things of the flesh. And the spiritual heart of Jacob is for the spirit-led things of God. So these two will be at conflict forever. So let's go back to Amos chapter 1. Where, where Amos tells us more about this relationship. So let's read in, in verse 11 and 12 again. It says in 11 that God says, I will not turn away its punishment because he has pursued his brother with the sword. And this is so important because whether Jacob, whether Israel, or whether Edom considered each other brothers, the Lord still did. And so our opinion and what we thinks, what, what we thinks, what we think is right or wrong or justified or unjustified matters little to the Lord. So the Lord has established this to be so, but the Lord has established them to be brothers. So it says that he pursued his brother with the sword, and then going on verse 11, it says, it says three very important things. It says, and cast off all pity, his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. This is the explanation of really what lied in the heart of Edom. It says that they cast off all pity, their anger tore perpetually, and they kept their wrath forever. Now, this, like most of Amos's words, is a poetic explanation. It is a a poetic device that is using three different phrases to, to give us deeper spiritual understanding. So the first thing it says is that they cast off all pity. Now we should understand this as the continuation of pursuing their brother with the sword. right? So Edom pursued Israel with the sword. And this is the explanation of why they did this. So it says they cast off all pity. Now, each of these words here are, are really powerful. So the first word, cast off, it doesn't, it doesn't just mean like we might think of. If, if pity is something they're casting off, it's not just a shirt that they're taking off or a robe that they're taking off or armor that they're taking off and laying down. This word means to destroy, corrupt, let ruin, or let spoil. It is not just allowing something to happen, it is choosing to force something to happen. So they have cast off and forced off their pity. Pity is, is a word that we don't use very often, and, and pity is often um, understood as a weakness. If we have pity on someone, we are, we're either considering them as weak, or we are weak for allowing ourselves to be affected by their circumstance. This word for pity is a Hebrew word, rechem. And it's a very important word because it's a noun, and it comes from a verb that means to love. So I've talked before that, that Hebrew words, nouns come from verbs. And so this verb of loving gives an identity to this noun that means to pity. This word as the noun, it means, as a singular, it means a womb. It means a womb 
like a woman has or a female animal has in its singular form. Now, in its plural form, it means compassion, mercy, or affection. And this is so interesting because Hebrew words, they, they tell a story. They're like a song or a poem in and of themselves. They're, they're full of symbolic meaning. So if we imagine that we've got this verb that means to love. And out of this verb comes this noun that either means a womb or it means compassion. So compassion literally means to come from the womb, right? A place that is, is part of our, our inner stuff, right? And I say, our, I'm a man. I don't have a womb. I, I, cannot, I cannot do that. But women have a womb. And what does a womb do? But it protects and it cares for and it guards and it nurtures. So to understand compassion as God is having us to understand it, we have to understand the purpose of a womb. And the purpose of a womb comes from this idea of to love. So let's look at a couple of verses that illustrate this. Let's go uh, to Genesis chapter 49. So Genesis 49, if you're in the church's Bible, will be on page 58. So in, in chapter 49, if we look at verse 25, it says, By the God of your Father who, who will help you, and by the Almighty who will bless you with blessings above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, Blessings of the breasts and of the womb. So it says of the womb here. And this is our word that Amos is using for pity. And this is important. Turn back just a couple pages to Genesis 43. So Genesis 43, if we look at verse 30. This is describing after Jacob has been sold into slavery and he is reunited with his brothers. It says, now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and he wept there. So in our translation, the, the New King James, it says his heart yearned. This actually means he had compassion. It's the same noun as the word for womb. And you're thinking, why is this so important that we see this? It's that we cannot understand God's level of compassion unless we understand the nature of a womb, which comes from the nature of love. So when we think of compassion or pity, and we think of it being a weakness as a person to have pity on someone, or noticing weakness in someone else, we have missed the point of compassion. So turn back to Amos, so we can see this Compassion and action. So Amos says in verse 11, and cast off all pity, all compassion. So together this statement means to say that Edom has completely seen the vulnerability of God's people Israel. They have seen them escaping from Egypt and bondage. They have seen them cornering all of this country in order to have safe passage into the promised land. They have seen their weakness and they have completely shrugged off and cast off and spoiled their ability to have compassion. They have made a choice. They have made an inhospitable womb. They have refused to love and care for Israel. Reading on, it says, His anger tore perpetually. 
So this is a, an even deeper understanding of what we've just read about this pity being cast off. It says the, the anger tore perpetually. This first word here for, for tear is, is kind of like onomapia, onomatopoeia. It's a figure of speech that gives sound to what's taking place. Anger is tearing. Edom's anger for Israel is like a piece of leather that is ripping. It is an action that, that Edom could not say that they were simply overcome by anger, but that they made a choice to have anger and align with it against Israel. The word for anger here, it comes from the Hebrew word for nose. And so it's actually where we get the expression of a flared nostril. Because anger comes as a result of the nostril flaring. Anger is not an accident. It doesn't just happen by chance. It is a choice that a nostril would be flared and that anger would come deep within the face, deep within the decision to be angry. So this anger that Edom has, has torn for Israel. And it's forever, it says. It says his anger tore perpetually. And this is another word that, that, that goes along with, with this idea of tearing. It, it is the idea that, that a garment, like a garment is torn, that a garment is put on and fastened forever. So not just have they, have they cast off their compassion, but they have put on anger. They have torn anger. They have flared their nostrils to be adorned against Israel forever. Beyond that we read it says, and he kept his wrath forever. So beyond this anger is now wrath. It says that he, Edom, has kept their wrath this is one of my favorite words, y'all know this word shamar, this word that is used for keep here. And it means to keep watch, to guard, to observe. And it's the word that we're told to understand our honoring of the commandments, that we are to keep them, that we're to guard them, that we're to, to, to nurture and care for them, so to speak. So in the same way, Edom is keeping watch and guard over their wrath for Israel like a treasure. That's what the Edomites did. They did not let their anger go. They did not have one encounter with Israel and say, okay, enough's enough. We'll, we'll, we'll let them pass through Edom now. No, we want to keep it. And we want to treasure this wrath. This word for wrath here is even deeper than anger. It's a word that means overflow, arrogance, fury. And so wrath is something that cannot be quenched or satisfied. It cannot reach its full. Wrath is forever, it says. Another word Amos is going to use for forever that means never stopping, eternal, and always. So Amos has kind of heaped on to this idea of no compassion with anger and with wrath and the reason it's so important what he's communicating to be understood is that if one of these mentions were, were made or isolated, it would seem normal for an enemy. But this is far beyond even just what we can imagine as a worldly enemy. These are altogether like a crescendo of the full measure. And for a while I was trying to, to grasp what I felt like I could, I could see and understand spiritually. And the Lord gave me the understanding. Enmity. Enmity. What Amos is describing here is not something that's described elsewhere in Scripture. Giving this idea of, of casting off compassion and taking up full anger and digging in with an eternal wrath. This is enmity. And this is a word that we know has connotations in the fullness of Scripture for really what we, we would say is the gospel. Right? Without enmity, there would need not to be any good news. It gives understandings 
to the enmity that exists between Satan and man, between God and man, and between man and man. When we think about the evil that exists in the world that none can explain, when we think about why we constantly feel that we are being chased by the enemy, when we wonder why we can simply not have fellowship with others, it is because of this place of enmity. So between Satan and man, I believe that we ought to be reminded here that Satan is our forever enemy. He has no compassion or pity. It has been cast off. His anger tears perpetually and he will not quit. His wrath will be kept forever. And either we come in agreement with the ways of God or we will certainly be destroyed by this enmity. So second, between God and man, we should understand that God has compassion. He has not thrown it off. So in His loving kindness, if we come in agreement with Him, His flared nostrils are soothed by our repentance. And as we know from Romans chapter 3, His wrath is satisfied because of Jesus' death. And finally, this place of enmity between man and man. Just as we know that Jesus has created in, a, in himself one new man, making peace where there was enmity, right? I am confident that we are to understand the spiritual condition of anger and wrath that is certain among those who are not spirit-led. If we think about relationships that we have, we think about relationships that we have that are not spirit-led, there is certain enmity. Because enmity is a physical reality, but far more important, a spiritual reality. So if we are not spirit-led, and if we are not moved into a place of compassion, then enmity is certain. This place of compassion is the Father's heart throughout the Old Testament. It is the picture of the salvation plan for Israel. That God has been moved to compassion. That his anger and his wrath would not come upon his people. And it is the fullness of the ministry of Jesus that Jesus was moved to compassion that would allow his agape love to be made manifest. So I've been thinking about what this means for us beyond these places. I believe that it means that unless we want wrath and anger to be our end, we have to seek spirit-led compassion. And we have taught on this before, that compassion is a place in the New Testament, in the parables of Jesus, in the story of the Good Samaritan, that would mean an alignment with the spiritual things of God, that would allow an agape love that is not conditioned by what we think and what we see, but that is conditioned only by what the Spirit would allow and lead. If we want change in our relationships in this place and elsewhere, we have to be moved not to be conditioned by the ways of the world like the Edomites, but conditioned by the Lord's ways. Amen.
test, one, two. Test one two, test one two. Can you hear that? Sounds just fine. Yeah. Test one two, test one two. Test one two, test one two. Can you hear it come through the speaker? senior night but but that's the kind of thing that you just the, the starters just go crazy to try to get the, the the time that the whole team can enjoy third and nine gashing run to the left still loose down the sideline touchdown bulldogs well, Kenny north with some offensive life that here. was a well-blocked play again they kind of sealed the edge and uh, there's a big gap there and the scots uh, gave up a big play in the running game and now it looks like the old swinging gate, so we'll see what happens with this. I know they practice this. They've seen it in film. Something Highland Park used to do a whole lot. Randy Allen's kind of put that in his back pocket the last couple of years. They still practice it, Miles. I'm just saying. Oh, I, I said his back pocket. <laughs> okay, he didn't put okay, it away. Okay, okay, it's not okay. on the shelf. Yeah, it's there. But, yeah, David, I, I think it's really big. The confidence, the morale of the team goes up big after the blowout wins because the other guys get to get in the game. It's just as satisfying for the starters to see the backup succeed as it is for the backup themselves out there on the field. And it really helps feed the entire morale of the, of the squad. There's no doubt about that. And, and uh, you know, 
even Saturday morning film sessions are a lot more fun when you're actually going to watch yourself play a little bit. So um, it is great. I mean, I, and I, again, we're in the second quarter here, and we're talking about that. But uh, Bobby, for, for uh, Coach Leidner, for him to be playing these guys, in the second quarter of a game, he's got confidence in them. And, oh, and, no you know, question. And, you know, he's, he's given them a chance to play, and and uh, he wouldn't send them out there if he, he didn't think they were ready to play. And it's great experience. I mean, seeing guys uh, uh, that that could probably start on any other team in this district, yep. there's no doubt, and, and to give them a chance to, uh, to play and uh, do the job. Now, I'm sure Bobby wasn't very happy with what he just saw in that last series, so uh, he, may, uh, he may have some uh, coaching to do when they got them over the sidelines. But let's see if the Bulldogs can possibly stop the Scott offense tonight. Another deep kick. They go away from Crosdale this time. It's Rossley navigating, and he'll pick up the 30. Another decent return for Highland Park. I'll tell you, I like Luke Rossley. He might not have a lot of wow plays. He's just solid. He catches the ball. He blocks. He does his job. Quintessential Scott as HP will take over at the 30. Yeah, the Scots have been hitting on all cylinders, and, and Rossley's done a great job with the inside receivers. and uh, They have a lot of weapons right now, Miles. You know, I think Coach Allen purpose, purposefully uh, distributes the ball so that all these guys, you, it's hard to key on one one player, and it's uh, he's really uh, getting stored to spread the ball around a little bit. And Cal got a little two-back set here. Rutledge in motion. And... Timeout taken by Highland Park. Timeout. Highland Park. That's their first. Origin timeout Bank timeout. Bank original with two convenient locations in the Park Cities. Let's talk about what's next for Highland Park. What's coming up the rest of this season as we show uh, that schedule if we can. With Bill Davies, our graphics guy, uh, in that Game On Sports truck. As Highland Park currently sits at 5-1. and one, And I started this on, on our open talking about the taking care of business. And I think that's clearly, as they're at this three-quarter pole of the year, that, that's got to be the theme here. As, as none, no, no four of those teams are going to really scare the kids. And so got to go out there and play their brand of ball. Yeah, what I'd love to see, be honest with you, is for Tyler to win again this week and, at and be undefeated in the, um, in the district play coming into Highlander Stadium next week. I think that would be really exciting for the kids and certainly get their attention. Um, but you're so right. Uh, that would be uh, the Scots. As we said earlier, they, they'll be favored, and uh, it is taking care of business time. And um, they they had little personnel issues, I think, and had to burn a timeout. So. Store hit as he throws, and that's incomplete. Willow Bend Mortgage Company sponsors our sideline reports. We'll head downstairs, check in with Jeremy. Hey, Miles. So, like y'all were saying up there, you know. You're really trying to get some of the backups into the game, trying to get the guys who normally don't get reps, reps for later on in the season. And something that I've noticed is that even though they played a Longview team that was really well last year, or uh, really well last week, they kind of let them hang in the game, and they're not letting the McKinney North Bulldogs do that this week. They're really trying to put the pedal to the metal. That ball was not down at the line of scrimmage, and it was Dylan Frazier. All district selection on both sides of the ball last year, also plays basketball. And uh, you, you see why uh, Arizona, Baylor, Minnesota, Arkansas uh, wants him. He's 6'5", 260, and looks the part over yeah. there at, uh, at defensive end. He really does, and that's a big play, and that almost was an enormous play. He uh, catches that and takes it to the house, and um, all of a sudden it's, uh, it's, it's a ball game again. That was grown man football right there. That, that was. was. He was blocked by two guys, and yeah. he nearly caught the ball. He did a, the right thing. You get as much uh, depth as you can, and you can get your hands up, see what you can knock down. So big, th big third down right here for the Scots. A couple of the best defensive ends in the area here going at it with Curtis. Before the snap. And Frazier. Timeout. Highland Park. Now, That's their second timeout of the half. You could count on one hand <laughs> the amount of times maybe in his career that Randy Allen has called two timeouts on one series like this yeah that that's you're right that is i'm trying to think if i've ever seen something like that before but uh probably he, kind he of doesn't, one he doesn't he probably didn't like the personnel uh formation that he was had in there for third and ten and uh 
and you might see something. They were in two back, so let's see if they get out of two back and, and go with their four wide look, and, and uh, maybe he had a second thought, and, and he realizes this is, you know, the, the Bulldogs got a little momentum they right do. now. And uh, they need to make a play and see if they can grab this momentum back, and, and sure enough, they are in four wide. They, they took a running back out, and he gets back into that uh, uh, personnel grouping that he likes here for third and 10, and this is a big play here uh, in the second quarter. It's Herring and Rutledge to the left, Heiss and Rossley to the right here for Brennan Store, junior quarterback. Throws right side, great throw to Heiss, still on his feet across midfield. It, that was over the head of the linebacker in front of the corner. Brennan showing some nice touch there on third down. That really was, and a lot of little arm strength there too. That's a long throw. Um, it's uh, it's from near hash to near sideline. So, but look at that throw right over the the top of that uh, dropping linebacker in uh, in front of the corner. So another great throw by Store, and again on time, and uh, was able to do that uh, little uh, 15 yard out route to get the first down. And then some friendly fire by McKinney North. They ran into each other after the uh, catch, and Heist was able to pick up an extra 10 or so. Store, plenty of time, escapes to his right. Nice run here by Brennan. Jay Cox leading the way. All these running backs block. Ryan Gibbs, you know, you got to respect Ryan Gibbs just watching his running backs block. They're clearly well coached. They really are, and, and Storr does a good job of setting uh, Cox up to make a make a block. And Alexander got the better of that collision. For one, sure. one thing they are working with Storr on is, is his slide and to get out of bounds when he can. So... Uh, just not take that extra hit. Get as much as you can and get out of bounds. Spank of Texas second quarter. 7.35 left. The store trying to escape right. And there's that man, Dylan Frazier, able to get the sack. That that was a that was just reaching a paw up there and grabbing the back of, of Storer's jersey. He showed a little strength there. Uh, and he, he really uh, wrestled him to the ground right there. So Scott's had second and short. Now they're back and a little bit more challenging here with this third down and it uh, looks like about six or seven. So uh, see if they can throw a little. They've had such uh, great success with these little out routes and short passes. So we'll see if they keep at that. Store had it knocked down. Was that intercepted? It yes, was. it was. Frazier had another chance to get his paws on the football, and that time he brought it down. Yeah, that was an athletic play there on a couple of different, again, it looks like a linebacker coming off the edge and, and uh, really making a play, and now it's got defense. I'm telling you, Bulldogs got a little momentum. And, you know, Miles, they're used to playing in high-scoring games. So this is, this is something that they're not uh, not unfamiliar with and, and getting down early, something that they can – can overcome and you see the some of the defensive coaches there on the sideline and uh, coach Burt the the man with the beard there so uh, but they need to stop right now and we'll see how the Scott defense steps up incomplete pass coverage there by Bevins you mentioned the beard it is an impressive beard <laughs> on on Chip Burt I'll tell you that he's got a young man that's a, a junior just switched from receiver to corner here at Highland Park second and ten for the Bulldogs and they flip it left side. Defended well by Highland Park. Still able to get out of a couple of tackles, but too many white jerseys. Boy, Adam Rourke read that perfectly, and he was there. Uh, just looked like he was going for the kill shot and just, <laughs> just missed it, uh, but enough for the Cavalry to come save him. Good look there at Harrison Walton. 21 tackles his last two games. He's the cerebral player in the middle of that defense for Carter Bean. Middle linebackers coach has really... Seen his group improve with Robert Remy and Harrison Walton. Third and 14. Over the middle. That's caught. Room to run. Down the left side. McKinney North with all the momentum right now as Gavin Daniel makes his second catch of the year. Yeah, that was a nice little crossing route. A good throw there again by Hitchcock and staying in the pocket. And uh, making a nice throw, and he's he throws the ball better than I have expected, better than I I saw him on the uh, limited film that uh, they had with him at quarterback. McKinney North will stutter with their pace, and after a big play, they want to go fast. They do here. William White, number ninety-eight, in there on the stop. And, and when I talked to Coach Fetchy about Colin Hitchcock, the first thing he said is big upside. 
and you'll see him make a handful of plays that, that impress you. Yeah, I, I, I can tell you right now, I'm, I've been very impressed. I mean, he looks pretty solid back there right now, playing with a lot of confidence. Right, that goes the wrong direction. Jack Curtis involved again defensively for Highland Park. The top player for the offense for, for McKinney North is out, Gavin Constantine. 700 yards, nine touchdowns, also 150 rushing. Good baseball player as well. And that was completely blown up by Curtis and Jergavan. Henry made a nice play inside there. Coach had a little bit of movement right there in the front and uh, created little problems there for the Bulldog offensive line. McKinney North's winning this second quarter 10-7 to right now. And they can go up 17-7 to in the second quarter. Deep ball left side. That's pass interference. Yep. They're going to get Adam Rourke for that one. He's going to... He's going to put up a little bit of a protest, but David Clark, you, you, you coach defensive backs. Break this one down first. Uh, well, that's, that's you know, you got to play the ball, and you got to turn when that re receiver's eyes kind of light up. you got to turn and play the ball and jump on with him. He jumps, and uh, there's a lot of hand Since fighting going on there. That's always one that DBs and defensive back coaches always argue about because he's right there. It's one-on-one. -on -one. They're hand fighting each other, and, uh, you know, it's 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 whoever can make the play, but that little bit of that underthrow really let it uh, become interference. I'll tell you though, Corbin Hendricks, at number eleven, he's a handful as well. Yeah, he's a good player too. First and goal from the two, and not a great play call there for McKinney North as Highland Park defended it well on the quarterback keeper there for Hitchcock. I think they're signaling offside, so it, they may get another okay. chance at this. So offside on the defense, number ninety. Half the dish to the goal, first down. Mason Gallus has been, I think, extremely underrated in terms of his contributions this year. 49 total tackles, 33 solos. He and George Wright tied for team lead in solo tackles. H-back and two running backs. They hand it to the big fella. That's Jaden Smith, his ninth touchdown of the year. And McKinney North has... Bounce back in this second quarter. 17 points here in the period for the Bulldogs. Yeah, real nice. Uh, again, after the turnover, they took it down the field. Nice play on a crossing route and uh, put them in business, and uh, and they were able to cash it in. So uh, don't count them out just yet. They're still hanging around. Again, they're used to high-scoring games, so they're not going to lose their poise. Now, David, I think you make a great point there in that they, they are used to that. Now, now explain that to, to the Texas high school football fan that might not be familiar with 